Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The 2020 election is coming, and it could be a mess. This episode is the latest in our series on democracy reform and voting. How do we make sure that citizens have equal access to the polls and that in this time of COVID, their votes count? So today we revisit the remarkable story of a group of citizens who took on party bosses in Michigan and organized this really interesting campaign for change. They did it without big money or political connections, and we think what they did could be a model for others. And it all started with a Facebook post. Gerrymandering. Voters, not politicians. Katie Fahey. Okay, so what did you say in the Facebook post? <laughs> it really wasn't anything um, uh, extreme, and I certainly didn't think it would lead to amending our state constitution. It was honestly like the two most inspiring years of my life. Um, there were just thousands of people who came together to face the odds and and try and make the world better. And I think that what we found is there's a lot of barriers for regular people getting involved in politics. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? In 2018, voters in Michigan overwhelmingly approved a grassroots ballot initiative to create an independent commission to draw up the state's political maps. The move came after complaints that for decades, Democrats and then Republicans had redrawn these maps to suit themselves rather than the voters. Michigan is a purple state. Democrats and Republicans get close to an equal share of votes in most elections. Before we find out more about the citizen campaign, Richard, let's have a little update on what's happened since we first published this interview with Katie Fahey early last year. This past week, a federal court threw out a second attempt by Michigan's Republican Party to overturn the ballot initiative and declare the Independent Commission unconstitutional. So after a long legal fight, a 13-member body of four Democrats, four Republicans, and five independents will be put together later this year after the election. They will try to stop gerrymandering, something that's actually pretty common in a lot of states. It's when districts are drawn up to concentrate certain types of votes. So that often will mean a district that spreads across a wide range of areas, but takes in a certain type of voter. 
it's a problem with deep roots and it's not easy to fix. This episode is another chance to learn more about this remarkable group, Voters Not Politicians. The Michigan movement began in 2016. Katie Fahey had no political experience when she started it. She simply wrote a Facebook post that she wanted to end gerrymandering. Thousands of volunteers responded and state law in Michigan was changed. It's really an inspiring story. Katie joins us via Skype. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And it's just a really great story. I and mean, we kind of want to start at the beginning. Tell us about this Thanksgiving dinner and what you put on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, well, the 2016 election was really interesting. Um, my family actually tended to not be very politically active. But for the first time, um, I was actually hearing people talk about not only who was running, but their different policies. I remember being at a birthday party overhearing the differences between Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders health care and child care policy. And this is something my family normally didn't talk about. But right after the 2016 election, the Internet was a pretty ugly place. Uh, lots of people were either gloating or were devastated. And as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, I just didn't want to have another holiday where we were more focused on what takes us apart from each other and why you voting for one person makes you evil or not. And more on, is there agreement that we have so that we can keep these conversations going, not only once every four years when there's a president, but, you know, every single day or holiday. Now, Katie, I'm assuming that, that your family, that some people went for Trump and others went for Hillary. Was that part of the problem here? Yeah, yeah. And a couple were very enthusiastic about Bernie Sanders as well. Okay, so what did you say in the Facebook post? <laughs> it really wasn't anything um, uh, extreme, and I certainly didn't think it would lead to amending our state constitution. But it said, I want to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, please let me know. Smiley face. <laughs> and, and then what happened? And then, you know, I went to work, um, wasn't really thinking anything about it. And I started seeing that, you know, a lot of people were liking this status. Um, and when I got home from work, I noticed that a lot of strangers had actually messaged me on Facebook saying, oh, my gosh, I've been so upset about gerrymandering for years, but I've never known what I can do about it. How can I help? Um, and that's really when I started to realize, like, oh, maybe we're on to something. And gerrymandering was something that jumped out at you because Michigan is a kind of a notorious case of a state that has some pretty unfairly drawn districts, right? For about 70 years, the people of Michigan have voted about 50 percent for Democrats, about 50 percent for Republicans. Yet, depending which party has been in charge once every 10 years around the census, the actual legislature doesn't line up with how the people vote. And in Michigan, we have had Democrats gerrymander the state and Republicans gerrymander the state. Now, you're a person in her late 20s with no political background and not a lot of political involvement before this. All of a sudden, all these people are pouring into your Facebook page saying they want to get involved. How did you get started organizing this? <laughs> yeah, well, we made a Facebook group with a very catchy name, Michiganders for Nonpartisan Redistricting Reform. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the acronym was like MANIPFER or something. Um, but we started with a couple rules in order for people to join the group. You know, one was that you had to be there representing yourself. You shouldn't be a paid lobbyist to be there or a, a politician who's looking out for their own gain. Another was that you could be from whatever political party you want. But in this group, we were going to 
focus on action that was going to lead to a solution that was just good for everybody, no matter who they voted for, because you're going to amend the Constitution. And that is going to have ramifications on elections for decades to come. But the really cool thing is, even though actually pretty much everybody who was joining at first had no political background, we did have professional skills from our day jobs. Um you know, whether it was like leading the Renaissance Fair in Michigan, or for me, I had experience organizing around sustainability, environmental issues. We were able to take each of those skills and then figure out how we could apply it to still make change. Now, right, right at the get-go, did you think that you would be putting together a proposal to change the Constitution, or did that idea emerge after a while? We knew that it was an option, but in the very, very beginning, we were trying to figure out, okay, how can we do this? And in Michigan, we had three ways that we could. One was we could bring a lawsuit against the current set of maps, saying that they were illegally drawn to you know, disenfranchise certain voters. Um, another was trying to work with the legislature. But once we did our homework, we saw that there had actually been over 10 different bills introduced over the decades and never adopted where the legislature could actually do their job and fix this themselves. Or luckily in Michigan, we have the citizen-led ballot initiative option where if we could gather 315,654 registered Michigan voter signatures, we could put this to a vote for all of the people in the general election. That's not easy. <laughs> I mean, even even major, well-funded political campaigns have trouble rounding up signatures like that. How did you do it? We from the beginning wanted to be a campaign that was made for and by the people of our state. So when we went to write the policy language, we really wanted to go and actually ask people what their opinions were. Um, so we held 33 town halls in 33 days where we pretty much talked about, you know, what is gerrymandering? What does it look like in our state? What does it look like in states that don't have the legislature drawing their own district lines? And then what do we want it to look like in our state? And we had a big survey that thousands of people ended up taking. It was really cool because no matter where we were in the state, we had standing room only. Um, people were very hungry to talk about this. We had people on both sides of the political realm. And I think one of the common themes that I saw is that people do not think the government is working right now, especially for them. And not only are they upset about that, but they want to do something about it. So you got your initiative on the ballot, which was an amazing accomplishment. And then you faced some negative advertising. You were able to raise some money on your side to support your uh, your campaign. Uh, how did all that work? And yeah, going back to that signature gathering number, we actually ended up gathering over 425,000 signatures in 110 days, which is some great momentum. And then our opposition actually tried to challenge us all the way up to the Michigan Supreme Court, too, um, which could have just thrown us off the ballot completely. It's hard to fundraise in that environment because, you know, you might not be going to the to the election. OK, um, so so when you face that problem, OK, yeah. there you are. Um, and, and you don't have legal experience. How did you how did you run things? I mean, clearly this wasn't Boss Katie, uh, you know, <laughs> right. presiding over over um, uh, voters, not politicians. So, did you know, how did you come to an agreement on when you did face a major challenge? One of the first things that we did was hire a lawyer. And then one of the first things we did after we got on the ballot was hire a litigation team, because those were some of the things that we knew we couldn't crowdsource. Um, there's a lot of things you can crowdsource, but buying TV ads and litigation defense is not one of them. 
It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And this show and several others about democracy reform is the result of help and a partnership with Solutions Journalism Network. They're a very interesting group that, that go into newsrooms and also journalism schools and urge journalists not only to cover what happened, but also... Uh, solutions or potential solutions, what what might happen or what might be done better in, in other countries and other cities. Yeah, it's a really great concept. And it's important to know it doesn't just mean feel good, happy talk stories. And it doesn't mean advocacy for a certain viewpoint. What it really means is looking for ideas or policies that have made a real difference in different areas. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And now back to our interview with Katie Fahey. Before we get farther into the proposal, I want to ask you a question about a management technique that clearly you were able to apply. And that is making sure that people followed your rules for civility and respect. I mean, you've got all these people contributing online. You've got all these people showing up in meetings. This was a time of enormous political intensity and frustration and polarization. How did you keep people from just winding up yelling at each other? It definitely took um, an attitude from the top, I would say. It's really funny because we are a very grassroots, very bottom-up organization in general. But before you could even join this group, like you had to check and acknowledge that you were going to um, agree to those things. And when we did have problems with people who just couldn't follow those rules, we'd talk to them. But ultimately, we had to be okay with telling people that, you know, there are a billion other groups where you can go and do that, or especially a billion other corners of the internet where you can go and just argue about, you know, why this person is bad or that person, but that's not what we're here to do. Um, and thankfully, in person, we really didn't run into that problem. Um, I think it is, it did take intention on how we set up the conversation. It would have been pretty easy to just say, you know, oh, well, the Republicans have gerrymandered for the last 20 years, so they're bad and da, 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 or, you know, or, or the Democrats are just looking for their next chance to do this. But by not doing that, we actually, I think, found much more common ground and created a safe space for everybody to feel like they could kind of test the waters. It was really interesting, too, because... I had many, many conversations with volunteers who'd be like, 
you know, I talked to a Democrat today and they actually want fairness in the government, or I talked to a Republican and they actually believe in transparency in the government. And for me, coming from a household that has different political beliefs, you know, it wasn't very shocking to me, but it was pretty cool to see that when people were able to create that space, even though they were skeptical, um, they were able to not only make connections, but like long lasting friendships too, with people who are really different than them. You started out with very little money. You didn't have a lot of political savvy. So how did you raise money first in in the early going? Yeah, we started off without a bank account. Um, I am not a a secret millionaire. Um, At the time, I was getting my MBA and working full time and uh, running a couple improv comedy troops and a festival. Um, And what we did, though, was we were really just honest and transparent about what the expenses were. Um, So it was a lot of people volunteering a lot of their time. But when we came to printing petitions, for example, it cost about $40,000. So we were just really honest about that. We said, like, literally, we cannot collect petitions if we don't print them. Here's how much they cost. So we did the math by looking at how many volunteers we had. And we're like, okay, if all of us find four friends to donate $25, we can do this. If not, we can't. What did you learn doing improv comedy (laughs) that helped you in this process? You know, in improv, there's like this one basic rule where you're supposed to have the attitude of yes and. Um, So, you know, if somebody says something crazy, you're not going to just flat out say no. It's kind of like a brainstorming rule, too. And I think having an attitude of knowing that there was a pathway forward and then having an attitude of we're going to keep trying no matter what. I don't care how many people tell us we shouldn't or say why it's impossible. Why don't we keep trying to find a solution until we hit that wall that won't allow us to continue on? And thankfully, we never hit that wall. And I really think it was because we never gave up trying and we stayed very focused even when there was a lot of people trying to distract us from our goal. So at that point, you really needed some money if you're facing legal challenges and you were able to round up some funding from some groups outside Michigan. Who were some of your big supporters? We had a couple different groups of supporters. There's ANI, which is the Action Now initiative. They were supporting redistricting reform in a couple other states across the country, and they were really critical in being able to help support us. Um, what's really interesting is, you know, after the two years of the campaign, we had over 14,000 donors, and most of them are small dollar donors. But even with the small dollars, we raised about $2 million. And yeah, our opposition in two weeks dropped $4 million out of nowhere with only two donors, really, Um, which is why we had known from the beginning, all the advice we were getting was, you know, you're up against a big fight. You're literally going against the status quo. So we knew that that was coming and thankfully had some great organizations and nonprofits who decided to invest in the people of Michigan to let us be able to do this because it really would have been impossible with how much influence money has in politics. Now, in the November election, your anti-gerrymandering proposal passed by a big margin, 61 to 39 percent. Were you surprised by that? I wasn't. And, you know, the other really cool thing is we won almost every single county in Michigan. We have a lot of rural counties um, and a few urban counties. And it was just so cool to see how where we had volunteers and people really active on the ground, we made a difference and we won. This really was an issue that transcended party. Okay, so so I've got to ask you, Katie, what did the proposal say? What What's the new system that is now going to be we've, put in place in Michigan? We put off the details as long as we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story is so great, but now we've got to get into the, the policy. Yeah. 
So it'll be a 13-member independent citizens redistricting commission. It will have four people from the majority party, four from the minority, and then five independent or third-party voters, uh, just regular people. They can't be um, recently elected politicians, lobbyists, office holders of political parties. We just want regular people. And they're going to go across the state and listen to the people of Michigan. Um, And they actually will not be allowed to draw these lines to favor one political party over another. Basically meaning that how the people of Michigan vote should actually align with the number of seats that are allocated for the parties that the people of Michigan are voting for, unlike what happens today. And one of the key things that I think is really interesting in the proposal is that it's set up to be extremely transparent. Tell us how that works. One of the top things we heard from people across the state is that they just want to know how this process is happening. They're really bothered that it happens behind closed doors, and yet it dictates 10 years worth of elections at a time. Um, And Michigan's also ranked one of the least transparent states when it comes to transparency in government out of all 50. So All of the meetings that these people do will have to be out in the open. Every single piece of data will also be made to the public. So, you know, they'll hire consultants to be the map makers and all of that will be readily available, as well as people being able to attend every single hearing that they're having. And when people go and leave comments, they'll have to be responded to as well from this commission. Now, your proposal did come up against some criticism, and there were a couple that I thought were interesting. Uh, and I'm wondering how you respond to them. One is that the proposal grants legislative powers to a group that's not elected, and the, the legislature doesn't have any authority over them. Um, because this process is done out in the open, these 13 people will be facing a lot of scrutiny, honestly, in the court of public opinion. Um, and they do have the option to vote each other off the island if something extreme happens or they clearly can see that somebody is violating one of these rules. But really what we've seen in the states who have passed this before, because there's about six other states that already have something similar, when you add transparency, when you bring in people who are there because they're wanting to be there, not because they, um, you know, are elected or it's going to impact like their uh, income, then you have people rising to their best um, and wanting to follow the law and do it the right way. Final question. What's next? You know, the best part about this whole experience, it was honestly like the two most inspiring years of my life. Um, There were just thousands of people who came together to face the odds and and try and make the world better. And I think that what we found is there's a lot of barriers for regular people getting involved in politics, um, especially if they want to do it in a nonpartisan way. And so we want to continue to advocate for citizens' right to be involved with our government, but also to take an active role, especially when reform is needed. Great story. Katie Fahey of Voters Not Politicians. Thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you so much for having me. And I hope a lot more people go and fix gerrymandering in their state, too. Great. Our conversation coming up. But first, a recommendation. Jim? So, well, it's a 2020 recommendation of a book that was written in 2019. And in these COVID times, this may be the last thing a lot of our listeners want to hear about. But I'm reading a fantastic book called Midnight in Chernobyl by writer Adam Higginbotham. And it is exactly as the name suggests, a very deep historical account of what happened in the Chernobyl accident in the Soviet Union. So it's really an important work. 
as you know, I'm somebody who's really interested in disasters and how they happen. And this one is probably the disaster above all others in our lifetimes that people cite. So it's important to understand what really happened. Richard, this show really has two elements. One is the mechanics and the spirit of grassroots political organization. And the other is the mechanics of the the actual bill itself, the initiative that was passed. And I'm kind of split on these. So let's right. start with the part I'm most positive about, which is this wonderful example of a regular citizen organizing a really important grassroots campaign. I got to say, before I even respond to that, I love that question you asked about her being um, an improv comedian and how fundamental to her training is say yes. Right. This, This whole thing, when somebody comes into your improv with a crazy idea that you don't like, you don't say, no, 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 stop, stop. You say yes. But you are now about to smash the China. Yeah, a little because bit. Because you have, you have reservations well, you know, about the system that's being put in place in Michigan. So um, it's kind of built in the DNA of our show that we're supposed to disagree a lot. And it's sometimes frustrating that you're we far— we don't, we don't do it enough. You're far too sensible. <laughs> and and, and I, I just like to say yes. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a pushover. So, um, but on this one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit. I think the idea— idea of some kind of a citizen council to handle districting decisions seems like a a smart idea. But I am leery that it removes the democratic process from overseeing this group. So you've got four Republicans, you've got four Democrats, and you've got five kind of mystery people who supposedly aren't politically affiliated with a major party. But, you know, where do they come from? Are they really so nonpartisan. We don't know that much about them. Fingers across it'll work great, and we probably need something like this. But I would argue that at some point, you're going to have to accept a little more direct political oversight. But, but, but what are you saying? Are you saying that there shouldn't be independents and, and that it should be all Democrats and, and Republicans uh, and, and elected officials on this commission? Because I, I don't agree with yeah, that. Yeah, but you're setting up a group that nobody can fire. And I'm leery about that. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that they set up under Dodd-Frank. It doesn't report to the White House. It doesn't report to Congress. It doesn't get its money from Congress. A lot of people had a problem with that because it's kind of a non-accountable bureaucracy. So here you have, you have something similar on a much smaller scale. I'm not saying that the idea is fatally flawed, but I think we have to take a hard look at any time we think that regular folks who aren't part of the political system – aren't going to behave in a political fashion. I think we may be a little... And, espe- and especially over time. A little but, too idealistic. People are going to try to game the system. Oh, right? Okay, but, um, but, but, but two great things about this committee. One is, is the transparency. Exactly. That, that that's not the, doing it in secret, and that's clearly a problem in a lot of states, that this is all locked up in advance. And that's what's so smart and, about this. And, and right. I'm, I really believe in gerrymander reform, if only because it would mean that there would be more swing districts. Mm-hmm. What politicians of Democrats and Republicans hate is the idea they might be turfed out of their job next time. So they design these electoral boundaries to ensure that even if, for instance, Trump's really unpopular in 2020, they still get reelected. Right. And, and sometimes the Democrats and Republicans even cooperate on this. Like, yes. OK, you take those guys and then you give us more of these guys who are guaranteed to vote for me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bad system. And I totally agree that it's the the, the 
despite my qualms, the, the radical transparency of this plan is kind of its saving grace. So if something fishy is going on, it, people are going to see it. It's not happening behind closed doors. So that's a positive thing. It's how do we fix it? And I think we've almost fixed this. Not quite, It's but complicated. Almost. These things are hard to fix. Um, but I'm really excited to see people really getting actual voters at the grassroots level involved. So kudos to Katie Fahey for that. Indeed. And kudos to Miranda Schaefer as our producer of this show. She always makes us sound better with her edits. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and suggested this topic as well. We're not very transparent about those. Um, and our music is by Lou Stravinsky. We are a production of Davies Content. Uh, please check us out at our website, DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.